Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today I'll be rejoined by Laurent Chapman, the You People and Freaky AF writer and director, and my long-lost recurring co-host. We'll also be joined by Geek Girl Features' Chelsea Ratterman, who is rejoining us to review the highly anticipated 2020 film, Wonder Woman 1984. We'll begin the conversation with a spoiler-free review before jumping into a spoiler section where we'll break down uh, the entirety of the movie. So for those of you who haven't seen it yet, you can get a little taste of what our thoughts are. And for those of you who've already seen it and are still trying to process whatever this movie was, stick around for the spoilers. So Laron Chapman, 2020, has kept us apart. And it's, it's been way too long. But it's so great to have you back on the show. Welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. It's very good to be back, um, and it's good to be back to be talking about a wholesome, something wholesome, something that we can all just celebrate, Whether what the, no matter where we stand on it, you know, just to be back to talking about what we love and to be in good spirits about it. So, yes, thanks for having me back. Wonderful. Agreed. The, the beacon of hope that is a film that people collectively knew was coming out and watched generally about the same time. Chelsea Ratterman, it really does feel like an eternity since we had uh, a good talk after one of the the film screenings. And if if we were under different circumstances, we would be talking about Wonder Woman for probably like 45 minutes after uh, some sort of film screening. So thank you so much for for, uh, taking the time to rejoin us here on the Cinematic Schematic. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm super excited to be here talking about Wonder Woman and, you know, just seeing seeing and hearing friendly faces again. Let's let's go. Let's uh, let's send 2020 out with a positive bang and uh, get the the new year and movie started. Now, before we get to today's review, I did just want to note that if you were listening today to the show today and you really enjoy the conversation, we aren't currently taking any sort of donations. The best way that you can support the show right now is by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the show, go give us five stars. If you think this is uh, some sort of wonderful, uh, maybe a wonder podcast of some sort, five stars. If you think it's a bad podcast, you know, you can even write a negative review, but as long, but just make sure you hit five stars and not one star. If you do that, it's going to help us out big time. So just want to make that caveat. We hope you'll consider leaving us a rating and review. Before we actually jump into the conversation, I, I did think it would, it would be good for listeners, Chelsea and Laurent, to get a good sense of how where we all stood on 2017's Wonder Woman. This movie was a huge critical and box office hit. Uh, I just want to get a sense of where we all stand, especially as we look at uh, the sequel that has been pretty hyped up, I'd say. I, I don't know about you guys. I feel like I've been watching ads for this movie for a, a an eternity. So, uh, Chelsea Ratterman, how about you? Where, where did you stand on the original Wonder Woman? Well, okay. So, full disclosure, I saw Wonder Woman twice in the same day at press screenings. So I drove to Tulsa from Oklahoma City and watched it in the morning and then watched it in the afternoon with Oklahoma City. And I sobbed both times during No Man's Land. So, obviously, the movie has a special place in my heart, you know, where we're seeing her doing her like woman power thing. But um, I'm still very much a fan, but I definitely, in retrospect, have way more problems with the third act than I did out of the gate now looking back. So I don't say it spoils it for me, but I definitely love like kind of grumpy when we get to the Aries fight. So still love it. Still watch it. But yeah, even Patty knows at this point she's talking about the third act, too. So we get it. <laughs> <laughs> Laurent Chapman, how about you? 
I pretty much second that what Chelsea said. Um, I was a huge fan of. I mean, it's it's placeholder um, in the DC universe. Um, uh, similar, I think the third act is one of those things that, which is kind of like a problem in a lot of comic book movies. It Wonder Woman is not. Uh, it's not unique to Wonder Woman, but I think um, I left it uh, with a pretty favorable uh, reception from it. I thought it was great. All right, so I'm going to be the Debbie Downer here, and uh, I just want to caveat a few different things. Um, one, I actually was not as vocal about my opinion on Wonder Woman because uh, I was like, yes, make all the money, give Patty Jenkins a successful sequel and more women directors, and hey, look, we got Chloe Zhao uh, directing a Marvel movie now. So uh, my whole thing was I, I, I actually thought it was a very average at best movie. The first two-thirds, I was like, this is pretty pretty run-of-the-mill superhero. The third act was total trash and betrayed. The whole thing I thought the movie was hinging on, which is she's going to defeat war by pacifying it, not by punching it in the face. And then some studio execs like, yeah, but that's boring. Uh, why would we do, why would we do that? I want to also say the whole movie, while I was not thrilled with the movie as a whole, there are some bona fide A-plus moments. No Man's Land is one of the best, most iconic scenes of superhero cinema in the last 10 years. So... No bones about it. It is it is very, very good and deserves the praise. But on the whole, I just felt like they were really lifting from Captain America, the first Avenger, a little too heavily. Yes, it has uh, Gal Gadot, uh, who is, you know, really personifies that role um, versus, you know, Chris Evans. But I just didn't I didn't come to understand why I should feel as passionately about her outside of the fact that it was a Wonder Woman. That makes sense. Longtime DC fan. Like, I love Justice League. I love Wonder Woman as a character. I also uh, was glad that it made tons of money. I was a little surprised by how well it was received, but I was like, you know what? If we get more female-directed films, if we get more um, representation up in the leadership roles, I'm okay with it. Uh, in a nutshell, not the biggest fan of uh, Wonder Woman 2017, but I'm very glad. I, again, I also hearing stories like Chelsea's that it fired her up uh, to go see it twice in the same day. I'm really happy that it found an audience and it did, did very well. The pandemic release factor. I want to talk about this a little bit before we get to the review as well. So this movie has actually been shuffled around quite a bit in the schedule. It was originally scheduled to be released on December 13th, 2019. So a full year earlier before it was actually moved up to November 1st, 2019. Before eventually being pushed to June 5th, 2020 which is where it had, as we went into 2020 earlier this year, that was really where it was at in the schedule was June. So when the COVID-19 pandemic hit the U.S., the, the film was actually pushed three more times before finally landing on Christmas Day 2020. And they also made the, I would say, yeah, groundbreaking announcement that it was going to be released on HBO Max the same day it was released in theaters. First up, uh, pre-pandemic was Wonder Woman 1984. Were you looking forward to it? Was it just another blockbuster on your list? Uh, Laurent, talk to us a little about pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. How, how did your feelings on uh, Wonder Woman 1984 look heading into it? I mean, I would say pre-pandemic, um, it was definitely on my radar as something I was looking forward to seeing how they followed up with. Um, but I think, um, I think that it, my excitement for seeing it, what, you know, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, definitely, I think they're the way they marketed it as is it kind of being the highlight of this really shitty year in movies, not shitty year in terms of like, in general, like movies have been fine. But as far as like, being able to go see blockbusters in, in, in this in a year where we can't go to the theater, it was like, this is a nice 
merging of those two worlds where we can kind of like, we can still see the big blockbuster movie. It's the bookend of the year. And it's again, this wholesome uh, DC, you know, character that is beloved by so many. So I think that my anticipation for it built because of frankly, not being able to go to the movies and see it as the way I would intend to intend to. Yeah. Yeah. I think most definitely, I would say that's probably a pretty common experience among viewers. Chelsea. Um, I was really looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it so much that they, when they kept moving it, I was the person that was tweeting people I know are never going to respond to me. I was like, please, Patty, <laughs> do what you can keep it in 2020. December is my birthday. Let me go see this. <laughs> so I was really looking forward to it. Um, but like I was looking forward to like superhero movies in 2020 as a whole. Cause it was like the year of the woman. I mean, we had women in front of the camera behind the camera. And so, you know, was obviously going to be the highlight for me because it's Wonder Woman, but I was looking forward to 2020 as a whole. Um, so I was just really happy we got to see it, and um, it was still great. Still loved it, and yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would say that's a good point, Chelsea. We had very few actual superhero movies, unless you count like Power from Netflix or something. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah, it's uh like we had. No, this is the first year since two thousand nine that we did not have a Marvel film release. Um, you know, we several other delays on the slate. Um, from multiple studios so it, it really I, I know Laurent we, we've talked a lot about this in the past like superhero fatigue being a real thing and I think at least in my mind <laughs> this year might have done me some favors on getting excited about superhero films again because I was I was uh, uh, along with you guys genuinely pretty excited to see just seeing a big spectacle blockbuster again um, after not having seen really any uh, all year round outside of Tenet. And that's just a really different flavor of blockbuster. Uh, so I, I was also looking forward to it. And also guys, I'm so tired of seeing the ads. I just wanted, I wanted to see the movie so I could like put it behind me and the ad machine could stop <laughs> after a year. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I feel like I've I seen can... this one shot 50 million times without further ado. Let's go ahead and jump into our spoiler free review of wonder woman, 1984. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. You? So many times. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. And why shouldn't it be? All you need is to want it. Think about finally having everything you always wanted. All right. Wonder Woman 1984, according to IMDb, is described as... Rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. That is some of these are very poorly written and vague. And, <laughs> and this one absolutely feels like it was written by a studio ex or like a studio copywriter. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Um, 
so we, you guys were giving us a little bit of a sneak peek here. So I, I, I want to really open up this question about how we watched 1988 Wonder Woman 1984 because, you know, I think everyone's kind of at their own pace, like how comfortable they are going to theaters. Um, you know, especially with this movie being released day of on HBO Max. Uh, you know, did you choose to go to the theater? Did you choose to stay home? Why or why not? And uh, we'll start with you, Chelsea, because I know that you uh, made a real special occasion out of this one, right? I did. So I mentioned before, I was like begging Patty on Twitter to keep it in my, my birthday month. So um, a really big group of my friends and I, we um, took advantage of that private theater rental that AMC has been plugging. So we um, rented out a theater. It was about 15 of us. So um, I would definitely say that we are a loud enough group to simulate a packed house. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, definitely when you're in your group of your own people, when if they're going to talk or do whatever they're doing. You're not minding too much as in a crowd of strangers. So uh, it was super fun. I really hope AMC kind of keeps them around at the prices they've got them at. Um, the day and date release definitely benefited us price wise. It was one ninety nine to rent out the whole theater. So it came out to about $15 a person. Um, I think whenever tenant was in theaters, it was about three fifty for the auditorium, which probably would have been like what, $20 if you maxed out the 20 people um which is still totally doable and I know we're kind of hoping they keep it around for future because we're like we're gonna do this again we <laughs> so hope it was super fun we, love it. We, we hope AMC survives long enough to to continue to d offer such a bargain price yes <laughs> that's super cool though uh I I I'm I very jealous I uh, missed the theater going experience that is some rock bottom prices right there simultaneously it's a great time for consumers or film goers but uh maybe not so good for the theater but um that's still you gotta right. take an advantage of that that's uh that's really that's a really good idea uh in fact I might have to start looking at the 2021 calendar myself now uh Laurent, how about you how did, how did you watch the film I mean there were a couple of factors that kind of um dictated my decision to watch it at home this year on HBO Max. One, because I didn't have HBO Max prior to this. So it also is kind of taking advantage of the opportunity to be able to do that. I do have surround sound, so I simulate it. You know, um, it, it still felt like an experience in the house. But I'm, I definitely miss going to the theater and seeing it with a packed house of people. Um, but I think, yeah, for one, the pandemic. Two, it being Christmas and just kind of chaotic and not being able to get out that particular day. A lot of things contributed to it. But I think under normal circumstances, if you had removed the pandemic um, from this, there would be no question that I would have saw it in theaters with a large audience. So, Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I also watched this at home. And there were, there were several factors. The pandemic being one. Uh, you know, just personally, is it worth the risk? Uh, and I'm not renting out a theater with 15 of my friends. So it's like, is it worth the risk to go in a theater that's potentially full of strangers? Uh, Apparently we just needed to be friends, better friends with Chelsea. I, for real. I know. All right. All right, guys, we're, we're, we're going to schedule a watch party for something and uh, just be on the lookout. Wonder Woman. We still have the third. Guys. We, the, third the third one's coming. The third one's coming. If AMC survives <laughs> for three more years <laughs> i mean yeah. the, the trailers looked promising we have the king's man hopefully they hold march we can do that one that one looks great right. oh the king's man right. in march <laughs> there, you there, there you go there we go <laughs> yeah i had the matrix four but that one's not until like december so that's, that's yeah. a little late in the game oh yikes yeah yeah uh yeah so i uh, also but watched at home and here's the other thing uh i actually i so i have a 4k tv uh that has dolby vision on it i it's a tcl brand by the way if you're looking to get into that if you are on a budget 
but you also really want 4K HDR Dolby Vision type stuff, TCL. It's like a it's got Roku programmed to the TV. Highly recommend for all listeners, for anyone who's considering it, because you're basically getting the parts from a uh, Samsung TV that they didn't use, and it's for about a half half the price. Uh, so mm. it's very, it, it, you know, it's still a 4K TV. It's still a TV, but it's definitely, I would say, within striking distance of most people's television budgets if they're looking to get something nice. So anyway, I say that to say that whenever uh, one of my criticisms of HBO Max, there have been many, even though I think it has the best content library, um, HBO Max does not offer 4K HDR Dolby Vision for any of their stuff. It's all just HD, which again, not a big deal, but now that we're stuff, definitely stuck at home and Netflix has been offering 4K HDR content for so long, I was like, oh man, are they really going to put out Wonder Woman, uh, you know, out in normal high definition? And great news, they this is the first movie they, they rolled out in 4K HDR Dolby Vision, my whole thing. It was great. Um, I do not have surround sound, but it would also support the uh, the Dolby surround sound if you had that set up as well. So again, they they didn't spare any expense on that side side of things. Now I will say, and I double checked a couple of other things after the movie was over, like streaming wise, uh, they were definitely feeling it on their servers or whatever because I was getting all sorts of pixelation and quality, like just the quality varied pretty regularly. It would go up. Down, I could tell. I could tell whenever it was chugging, like it was running issues. And I, I may or may not have gone over to Disney Plus to check out Soul, which is also in 4K HDR content and did not seem to have any issues with it. So, uh, you know, HBO Max. I'm, I'm glad they're they're getting there, but uh, they got some work to do on the quality side. But anyway, yes, I watched it from the convenience of my home, no surround sound, uh, and on the couch. All of that said, Chelsea Ratterman, you love uh, Wonder Woman, the original. How did you feel about 1984? I thought it was good. Um, and I know it definitely, I'm definitely not the resounding love that I, I wanted to feel for it after experiencing the 2017 film. Um, I definitely think it had a lot to live up to with the first one. Um, you know, it was just so emotional for me, I think for a lot of people, um, especially that no man's land scene. Um, gal obviously does a great job personifying Diana Prince and wonder woman. Um, but I can't say it hit the bar for it. And I, I, it's definitely one of the lesser entries in the DCEU for me right now. Um, and I think that really is chalked up to, to some story decisions that they made that just didn't quite add up for me. And I really think undermined a lot of the character motivations. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, uh, we're going to get into the details of it, but I would say that's, um, that's a very fair, uh, assessment. Uh, Lauren Chapman, how about you? Thoughts on Woman or Woman 1984? 1984, I feel um, it's one of those things where I've seen a lot of mixed reviews. I've seen some 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 very um, pronounced hatred for it that I think is really unwarranted. Um, I do think it's a step down from the original for sure. Um, it's still it's it seems somewhat bigger in scale, but I think narratively here um, there are some weaknesses. Um, so that's kind of something that was glaring for me. But I think cumulatively speaking, there was there were it had moments. I just don't think if the the sum of all the parts added up to the, even the best moments in the original. Again, I'm I'm the dissenter in the group. 
going to split hairs. I enjoyed Wonder Woman 1984 more than I enjoyed the first movie. Now, is it better? Probably not. I think they're both probably, in terms of quality, from my perspective, about on the same level. Uh, it's just kind of like pick your preference on your, the problems. This movie actually addresses some of my issues with the original film. So we, we mentioned earlier, I, I actually really hate the third act of that movie. Like it, everything from deploying several of my pet peeves, like for movies, period, um, in addition to uh, Wonder Woman defeating war with violence, just really, really left a bad taste in my mouth walking out of that movie. This movie, they actually tried really hard, in my, from my perspective, to address that by having Wonder Woman essentially beat the bad guy without using her fists. Uh, one thing I like about this film is that she, it's kind of cheesy, and a lot of people I feel like have been unfairly critical. We see her saving people, which I guess people forgot superheroes are supposed to save people. Uh, people think it's silly, like there's a scene where she rescues kids playing in the street. I, I'm sorry. Spider-Man, if you forgot, you know, like all these different things, like, you know, I mean, I know it's not Marvel, but I mean, that's not DC, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's all the same. Yeah, but, but the thing about DC is they might, one of my biggest criticisms of the DCEU is that especially in the earlier, like, like the Suicide Squad, BVS, and even Man of Steel, like just no interest in saving people. It's all like these people are essentially like these heroes are essentially gods that can't be concerned with the, they like, like saving humans is like, is a secondary goal of fighting the big bad person they're fighting. Right. And I, I, I actually think Wonder Woman 1984 addresses some of that in a way, but I did really enjoy uh, the moments. There are a lot, like Laurent said, a lot of great moments in this film. Again, uh, whether it's dismantling weapons or using her powers and crazy random, like, Holy cow. I didn't know she could do that moments. It was still really cool. Um, so I don't think those moments add up to a great film, but I think they're there and worth calling out uh, to a certain degree. Uh, I, I would just say the biggest weakness of the film is just, it, there's too much. It's sequelitis. There's too many, too many things they're trying to do, and it's very unclear. And I think they get lost in all of the ideas and characters they're throwing in. It, it really just loses focus. And, and then the second thing I would say is that it, it gets so overstuffed and convoluted that there are just things that straight up don't make any sense at all they just and i know it's a superhero film and you're not supposed to ever think about it but that it doesn't really follow its own internal logic my, my my girlfriend and i were watching this together and in the climactic sequence which we'll talk about in spoilers she's like wait why is this happening what like, like like there were several moments and i was trying to justify it in my head so i could explain it and i was like wait no none of this makes sense and it really falls apart in my mind in a different way in act three than the first one but i still think it falls apart so uh it's kind of a mess kind of a mess but i enjoyed it so that 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 about sums it up uh anything else you guys would like to note about particular strengths and or weaknesses uh about wonder woman 1984 i think that there's some really great like fan service moments obviously we get to talk about that a little bit later which we you know definitely my crowd were like jumping out of our seats when some certain things happened um so I think that there were some great fan moments. Um, I think that the movie, maybe this was just in choosing the eighties. Um, I feel like that was kind of homage to um, the Donner Superman's, you know, you kind of had that like candy color or lighthearted earnest like feeling in the film. So I think that they were, were, were not potentially trying to do that. Um, so I think that that was a strength because I think it definitely played into um, it. It's, 
brought Wonder Woman into a little bit more like a real life person um, where I think kind of DC for me the biggest like DC criticism is they set these characters up to be kind of like godly characters versus like Marvel's kind of always those every man um and I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about where people's criticism of her like saving people in the streets is because the DCEU has kind of set up Wonder Woman to be this mythological character where she's like made this effort to hide her her existence and everything like that so um potentially it's just some it's not following its own logic at that point but um I think those were some great moments um weaknesses for me were again some of those character motivations um they set Cheetah up and then once again they said hey we're gonna make your character dependent on the man yeah um so Maxwell Lord could exist without Cheetah but Cheetah cannot exist without Maxwell Lord and that really undermines Cheetah as a character and by bringing her to the screen and removing her motivations where she's really the foil for Wonder Woman and so many of the interactions it really does her character such a disservice yeah I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that Chelsea because I actually think the setup for that character is awesome acts one and two I'm like I am on board and I'm it's okay so this happened it, it, it's they 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 get to act three and they're like wait a second we need Wonder Woman to punch someone for a climactic fight well we've and we know Cheetah sometime and I was just talking about this with my uh comic book scholar friend Joshua Unruh and he was telling me that she's not always a cheetah like actual like you know mutation cheetah or whatever she's only sometimes that and he was telling me about the storyline they were inspired from and I was like wow that actually sounds awesome but then it's probably some executive or like wait we gotta fight something so what if we put a big CGI version of her in there just because and it really I think you're right it really undermines what they did what they were setting up in the first two acts which I actually thought was pretty pretty compelling mm-hmm. it, for those of you who remember have, have uh, uh, heard me criticize uh, the, the Wolverine another superhero movie that does this exact same thing where you're like this movie's so great and then the third act they're like wait a second guys it's a superhero movie big CGI monster go fight that that's how we're gonna close it out even if it makes <laughs> no sense uh, yeah, but um, no, I think that's um, a, a good thing to call out. Uh, and I also think, you know, if we are going to compare it to other movies in the DCU, uh, DCEU, including 2017's Wonder Woman, like where, I would, you know, where would you rate, I guess, rank it or rate it? Like, is it like one of your favorites? Is it lesser favorites? Is it middle of the pack? Do you think they're doing good things here? Uh, Laurent, any, any thoughts on, on that? I'm kind of a uh, more of a Marvel purist, so I mean, I like um, some DC films, but I think I mean, if we're just if we're staying in that lane and only speaking of it, I liked Wonder Woman quite a bit for the reason I mean, in comparison to some of the other DC films, because of the charisma and the levity that they added to it, that I feel is not really present in things like Batman versus Superman. You know what I mean? Like where it's just joyless to me. Where here you have a, I mean, Gal Gadot, I mean, she's not just gorgeous. She also has a really commanding magnetic, you know, screen presence. And so um, I liked getting to know her in the first one. I liked seeing her character and just how wholesome and earnest that she is. Um, I think that translates in the sequel. Um, I think that's still there. My issue mainly, it wasn't the third act in this one. It was the second, you know, I felt like, it starts really well and it ends decent. You know, I just think that there was just this large 
you know, mammoth of a middle section that was just a lot of plotting for me that didn't really amount to anything very impactful in the end. So um, just, you know, it falls apart, like you said, in a different way. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with that momentum, just the air of it was being sucked out of it in the middle. That's just, that's what I would say was the most glaring issue for me. I mean, it's all about whenever you whenever you jump the ship, Laron. You're saying it happens in Act Two. I'm saying you're probably right, but I didn't. It, I was trying real hard to stay on on board until Act Three, and I was like, when I was like, no, nah, this doesn't make any sense. I'm done. It, yeah, uh, no, I think that's fair because oh, the second act, okay, there are things that work about it. Like I really do think that the way they were setting Cheetah up in, in Act Two was still pretty good because that was when she's in the middle. Of, well, again, we'll get into the spoilers, but you know, she's. On a journey, and then the, like, it, and and the journey in Acts one and two connect, and then in Act three, it's like a hard left turn away from the thing, or she or or she teleports to a different arc entirely, you know, one of those sorts of things. Um, and but I would say in terms of like Maxwell Lord's stuff, I think that stuff definitely goes off the rails in Act two, where the, it doesn't make any sense, and we we'll, we can get into that in spoilers. But I think character motivations is a thing Chelsea brought up, and I have tons of questions about both. Uh, Cheetah and Maxwell Lord's character motivations. I will say one thing I didn't I didn't mention in my positives though. Performances here, I actually the performances are all very good. I think the script's terrible, but I think the performances across the board are great. Uh, Gal Gadot uh, is just getting better with every time she plays the character. I actually think Pedro Pascal is having the time of his life in this role. He is going for it, and like especially in the Act Three, he's like, "I am in a comic book movie," and he just is like <laughs> yeah. so happy to like just go over like cheese it up, ham it up. He's having maybe a, you should have done it, Caleb. I, maybe maybe I, you should have played it. I uh, I wish I would have played Maxwell Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, so I mean, again, it, it's just a, it's a, oh, and Chris Pine's back. I I don't know if it makes sense, but you know what? He's great. He's there. He's here for the party. He's great. Uh, yeah. No, I I think all around this was um just it was a very well uh Kristen Wiig as uh again um as the cheetah. Very great casting. I actually thought she was she was very good as well. And I actually kind of hope we get to see her in more superhero movies because I thought just I was very impressed with what she did with that character. Um, Chelsea, but uh, going back to that DC question, where does 84 fall? Obviously, you've said it's not as high up as Wonder Woman, but if you're comparing it to the other films in the, the cinematic universe, what do you think? Okay, so this is where I'm going to drop my bomb. Wonder Woman... 1984 is definitely the lesser of the 2020 entries from the DCEU for me. Um, Birds of Prey is way better. Oh, damn. Um, yeah. <laughs> highly recommend. The internet can be mad at me. Um, I don't know if this would rank in my top three. Um, I'm a big Wonder Woman fan. I love Man of Steel. Shazam is fantastic. Um, loved Aquaman. So I definitely think the origin stories from the DC um, Extended Universe are have delivered for me. But their sequels are obviously where their problems are coming in, um, as exhibited by the fact they've basically jumped ship um, on the whole connected universe. So, um, yeah, that's where it places for me. Um, below Birds of Prey, above anything that is not a director's cut. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. I mean, like I said, I, I, uh, I'd probably rank, rank this right next to Wonder Woman. If I had to, if you put a gun to my head and had to rank them, I enjoyed 84 more. No, nah, you know, I'd probably put 84 right above it. Maybe. I don't know. I, I definitely think Birds of Prey in terms of the DC, uh, EU is, is cream of the crop. That's up the top. I don't, 
think it's like a mind-blowingly amazing movie, but I'm just saying that's where the standard for the universe is. I think Man of Steel is a very good movie that just fundamentally misunderstands Superman. So I have very conflicted feelings because I think as a film, it's a very entertaining blockbuster that has similar Act 3 problems, but I don't think it like breaks the movie. I think it's fine. Uh, I just also at the same time, I'm like, wow, I think it's a pretty solid blockbuster. I've rewatched it several times. I think the point to Superman, though, might be the only part where Josh Whedon maybe helped. He did. Um, He kind of brought that Super Friends, like, positive arc to Superman that I know is not going to be there come Snyder Cut. Um, But I think that was probably, like, that was, like, the most positive part of Whedon's cut um, for me. No, no, Chelsea, I'm actually glad you mentioned that, too. I know we're we're getting off the track a little bit, but while we're talking about the DCU at large, this is an opinion that is not going to mean anything because I don't think Warner Brothers has totally just kind of given up on trying to make it all make sense. But I actually coming out of Justice League, my biggest positive takeaway was, oh, my gosh, I saw Superman in the DCU and he felt like Superman <laughs> for the whole like 20 minutes. He was like on the screen like I just got like, you know, he had the dumb dorky jokes, you know, it like the the, the physical gags where he's flying the building and the yeah. I, and I got a big dumb grin on my face at those moments because I think those are genuinely what's been missing. And unfortunately, due to a variety of reasons, one being that Warner Brothers doesn't know what's going on, two being that allegedly Joss Whedon, there might be some on-set stuff going on there that happened during the reshoots, don't know. Um, but uh, I don't know that we're ever going to see more of that version that I actually got really excited about because um, I don't know if Warner Brothers is particularly interested in pursuing more stories with that particular timeline. I don't know. I don't think they know what they're doing either, so there it is. <laughs> if we were going to give... Wonder Woman 1984, uh, a rating, say a letter grade rating, A, B, C, D. What letter grade would you give it? Chelsea, we'll start with you on this. Okay, so I only saw it last night, so I'm definitely still, like, marinating on it a little bit. Um, it's I feel like it's, like, a B- minus for me, maybe. I might change it in the forthcoming future when I actually, like, write my review. <laughs> so I'm going to say B- minus for right now. B-? minus. Okay, okay, I think that's fair. I think there's a lot to enjoy here. Uh, Laurent, how about you? Goodness, me and Chelsea are spot on here. Yeah, I was going to say, if it was a star rating out of like one to four, it would have been two and a half, which equates to being a B minus. So I would say B minus is a solid amount. I I think it's slightly better, slightly better than average, but just slightly, you know, so um, I, see, I feel like when you say three stars, like you have a solid, like I really, I really liked it. B minus to me is like, I liked it there were problems. Mm -hmm. I thought I was being pretty middle of the road when I said this was like an equivalent to like a C. Uh, And honestly, after thinking about more, I'm leaning more on the C minus. And I still feel like I'm being a lot nicer than a lot of people Um, because I enjoyed it. I had a fun time. I have, I, I, there were moments that I loved. I have pretty much zero interest in revisiting it. And I will say to, I put, put it uh, the, the, the name, Wonder Woman 1984 in the ringer for most disappointing film of 2020 in our Oklahoma film critics circle voting. Not because I think it's the worst movie, but because like we've all been waiting for so long to see a big movie and the moments are great. The there's an opening sequence in Themyscira. Awesome. Uh, there are, I, and we're going to rattle them off in spoilers, but I can name four or five moments. So I was like, ah, this is great. Put a big grin on my face. or I laughed or I said, Oh Wow. So there are moments there and it's definitely worth watching for those. But I just think on the whole, the way I think the movie kind of sort of massively falls apart in a lot of ways, uh, just 
it for me is saying it's on the lower end of average film. I guess I'll be the naysayer here. That is not to say that you shouldn't see it, but just that I would I would temper your expectations before going into Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, another thing I've been trying to work into my reviews is just getting alternate recommendations of other films that you can pair with Wonder Woman 1984. So, uh, Chelsea. It, what other movie would you recommend people watch either along with or instead of Wonder Woman 1984? So either you're saying replace Wonder Woman 1984 with another film or you say make it part of a double feature. Um, I'm going to go on the replace side on this one, and I'm definitely going to say Birds of Prey. Um, huge advocate for this movie. I love it. I watch it so much. Um, and de- people slept on this movie and I'm so mad. <laughs> Go watch it. It's got a great soundtrack. It's going to win Best Original Song for Doja Cat. I'm, I'm staking my claim on that one for Boss Bitch. So here we go. <laughs> uh, Laurent, how about you? You know, I'm going to go completely off the rails and just say any 80s um, John Hughes movie <laughs> or um, or even Adventures in Babysitting comes to mind just to get yourself in the vibe of the aesthetic of the world that they're creating in 1984. Mine is definitely super self-promotional because I'm going to recommend you watch the film I'm going to be reviewing next week, Promising Young Woman, uh, because (laughs) it just fits and it's getting a lot of acclaim and it stars Carrie Mulligan. Again, little teaser for what we're going to be reviewing next week, but also uh, you should, you should check that movie out. LaRon, Chelsea, anything, anything we want to add before we move into spoilers here? Any closing remarks for those who want to stay unsullied? None of us hate this movie. No. We just no. have problems. <laughs> it's fun. Go watch it. Just enjoy it. Get your bag of popcorn. Sit on the couch. Sit in the auditorium if you're willing to do that. Um, just, just, It's fun. It's candy colored and 1984 and just watch it. Me being the most critical, I still think it's worth it. I don't think you're going to be upset you watched it. I just, and I don't hate it. I just have a lot of problems with it, uh, as you'll hear in spoilers. All right. All right. If you do not want to be spoiled on Wonder Woman 1984, go ahead and tune out now. Right, guys so we are going to talk about a lot of things that we had problems with uh, in this movie but before we do i want to talk about the things we really enjoyed and i think we all agree across the board this movie had lots of super cool moments i'll just start us off by saying there are several but i think one of my favorite moments early in the film was that when she gets a hold of some guns crushes them in her hands and says i hate guns and i was like i'm here for this movie i'm here for this movie this is exactly why i'm watching it it's so great i felt very it was a very cathartic moment Let's crush the awfulness in our bare hands. Um, this is why I love Wonder Woman. Uh, yes, fun moment. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, I, but Chelsea, I'll pass it to you. What what, like what was a, a moment you really liked? So the movie I really liked, I really loved. My whole group was like, like I said, we were like standing up and screaming, like, oh my gosh, was um, the Invisible Jet. Yes. Like, can we just like, oh my gosh, we got the Invisible Jet and it was cool. Like it wasn't super like, weird and corny like in the comic books where you could like see her but not the jet no like it was cool like it was great like oh my gosh <laughs> uh, well and it was one of those things too like the second i don't know and i i guess i forgot steve was a pilot the second she looked up at a plane really early in the movie i was like all right we're getting the invisible jet when's it gonna happen <laughs> I wasn't even expecting it. Like they kept it so under wraps and I was like, okay, so yeah, he's, he's a pilot. I was like, oh, they're gonna have this like cute romantic plane scene. And then she's like sitting in the cockpit. She's like, there's this thing that Zeus can do. And I was like, 
oh my god like, we're just all freaking out in the front row and we're like that is gonna happen and then she does it like right then like she makes the, the yep. invisible plane like almost like the second they introduce the idea she's like oh i'm gonna try it on this plane yep yeah. it was great it was i loved great. it thank you so much dc patty everybody thank you <laughs> leron how about you a- any moments in particular stick out to you the opening sequence in its entirety whether it all landed we'll talk about here momentarily but yes i think that entire opening sequence was just joyous and fun and um, just really captivating. Uh, I have to throw in one more. Whenever she was swinging on lightning bolts with her lasso, I don't know if she's ever done that in the comics. I'm sure it's probably happened at some point. It was like one of those, I was like, wow, is she doing that? She's doing that. Holy cow. Uh, did it look great? Uh, it looked good enough to me. Uh, but <laughs> I just was, it was very impressive. Okay, yeah. Well, th- this movie had a lot of really good moments. And I think the thing that we're all, what we all to varying degrees are struggling with is just this movie is really jam packed with a lot of ideas. Let's back up. Let's start with character motivations because I think it feeds into the larger sort of lack of themes making sense. Maxwell Lord. Firstly, again, they sort of introduce him as this Donald Trump analog. Not going to spend too much time talking about this, but is is a man who actually has nothing, but is a very well-liked television personality. And that is what he is writing his business on is getting people to buy into this idea that they can invest in oil and get money in return. And in reality, there's not any oil in the well. So it's all just a scam. Like it's all smoke and mirrors. There's, he doesn't actually have anything backing up, but they also sort of make you sympathize with him a little bit. Like he just really wants to do right by his son. He wants to be a better man than his father. He wants to rise above his humble beginnings, which is admirable. So they try to add a little bit there, but so that that's sort of like the, the core that the character they introduced to us. And we understand that his motivation is he wants to get his business off the ground. He wants to strike oil, right? And he thinks that this wishing stone is the way that that's going to happen. And I'm like, okay, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Okay. He cons the guy into the getting the company. Okay. He, the oil wells start booming. Okay. All right. He goes to Egypt to try to con the world's biggest oil man out of oil through his wish system. I'm like, okay, this is where I get confused on his motivations entirely. That guy doesn't have the oil. He sold all the oil to the Saudis, which, uh, okay, that's a whole other, we're going to get to that later, but there's some stere- there's some heavy stereotyping in this movie. So he then takes on the private militia of this guy. And from there, I actually have no idea personally why he keeps wanting more stuff. Like, I understand that the theme is that the idea that once you have more, you'll never be satisfied. So you just want more and more and more. But there's a big difference between I want all even there's even a big difference between I want all of the world's oil and I want access to nuclear weapons. You know, like that's a pretty big step. Right. And it just sort of spins out of control for me there. Um, And his lack of clear motivation then impacts, you know, Cheetah's lack of clear motivation, like the way they meet. The way they meet on my is still kind of sloppy, but I can buy it. But the way they sort of work together in the end just makes it makes zero sense. Like why why she would be motivated to to help him uh why he continues to want people to make wishes when it's very clearly causing destruction on the, like very visibly causing destruction on the planet i don't know what you guys uh have to say maybe you can clear it up for me but maxwell lord's motivations did that did that work for you guys lebron we'll start with you it's just half baked it just i mean like you said it doesn't it doesn't have it's too it is his arc is two dimensional 
And that was the issue is like, I think you get to, like you said, once he has obtained essentially what it was he would need, it's just weird that he would, like you said, he would take it further past the, you know, uh, going to uh, Egypt, you know, just, it doesn't, beyond that point, it, it just feels like we're, we're just, we're, we're treading water again. We're just trying to, you know, um, find some haphazard way to link Cheetah's storyline into it. And I just felt like, I was there with Kristen Wiig's character and and just the the very simple like wanting to be seen, wanting to be like that was that was enough for me. That was enough of an arc and they could have just followed that through to the end. As soon as they entangled that with Max Lord's stuff, it just it just undercuts anything that she would have been doing cuz that's not what she wanted to begin with. And so it just seems like it 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 took out the impact or any reason for me to to even care about the villain's motivations which is you know can happen with good with good fiction as we've seen in like you know game of thrones or something where we might hate the villain but we understand their motivations and here i just felt like it was just watered down by the weird um you know merging of their two issues um there towards the middle act but yeah chelsea anything to add there I definitely don't think the themes that you mentioned were followed through. Um, I think maybe you can track more like a power corrupts kind of thing with Maxwell Lord. Um, Cheetah's thing, they definitely gave up totally in the third act. Um, like Laurent said, I mean, like they totally were setting her up to be a great villain and, you know, live up to that foil of being Wonder Woman, of be, uh, the foil of Wonder Woman. And they didn't. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, because... I'm a big like follow the rules of like established rules of magic and all these things. And like, you know, we definitely have magic and um, Maxwell Lord's thing of like always getting more and like, there's always more don't track within those. Like, I feel like established rules of magic that we all understand, which is, I mean, they mention it. It's like the stone gives or the stone takes, but it didn't, take from him because he was able to take the health from other people and like reestablish his own health so like there it's like this genie thing that wasn't working like yeah the internal logic is totally broken right because it's totally broken yeah because he didn't really seem like he lost more other than his health and then they even have the line where he tries to explain he's like oh well i knew that was gonna happen so i'm just gonna steal other people's health and i was like oh okay (laughs) no and i mean whenever we see like in aladdin i mean jafar wishes to be as powerful as a genie he becomes a genie. He's bound by the genie's rules, but he's as powerful as a genie. But we don't see that in this established rule of magic where he's like, I'm going to become the stone. So I am the stone, but there's no repercussions really for him. So we, we're breaking that rule. Um, but there, there's none of the themes that really pay off to make you feel sympathetic or like you understand the villain's motivation. They completely throw their motivations out the window in service of the CGI spectacle. Um, and any sort of nuanced, like, attempt to say something to their audience, which is definitely what happened in the first one. They went for Aries. He was two-dimensional. They could have been like, we're going to be political, or we're going to say that, you know, man is just corrupt and is always going to be violent. Like, there were so many other ways they could have done and gone with that movie that they just chose not to, and they definitely did the same thing in this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, with the first movie, it's like they were setting you up to say, okay, man is inherently corrupt. That's the big discovery, like light bulb for her. And she's like, oh, I have to pr- figure out how to persuade them uh, of the better way. 
And that would have been a really beautiful, had they figured out a way to like, you know, visualize this in a way that, you know, could have, yeah. would have been great. Uh, but they were like, nope, mm, comic movie, big fight. Uh, same thing happens here with, with, uh, with Kristen Wiig and Cheetah because I really like this idea. I think that the, the core of the character they set up is extremely strong. Like you're like Laurent saying, I'm right there with her. Oh, she's this woman who just like looks at, you know, Diane Prince and says, I want to be her. And how many of us have not like looked at like somebody and been like, man, if I only had whatever, whoever, you know, Joe Schmo or whatever has, you know, that's an honest thing that I think we can all relate to. So I think it's a really strong motivation. And when you see her sort of start to change, I even like the idea that she gets the powers, but then loses those things about her that made her, you know, human. Yeah. And I, I think that was yeah. great. That like, so, and that's the first two acts you're tracking. I'm like, okay, we see she's like doing the running thing. And I'm like, all right, even when she goes to the white house, it doesn't hundred percent make sense, but I'm like, okay. And even her saying that I'm fighting you because I don't want it to go back the way it is. I'm like, all right, I got that. The second she's like, I want to become an apex predator. All like, of a sudden, what? what? Since when? <laughs> Since when? Where was where was the like? And I'm not. And there might be stuff about that character that's already been established because I'm not. I don't know the comic book mm -hmm. or I don't know the. But it just in the film, it's not place. It just feels like an afterthought, and it just becomes like a okay. So that's that was your that was your big your big overarching thing. It just there's no. There's no hinting at that. If there is, it's very marginal, I think. But I think that was shoehorned in because they never actually call her the cheetah in the movie, at least it, it, that I can recall. No. So I think that that was them like shoehorning in that she's the cheetah. But in the comics, there it's she just wants to best Diana. Like she just wants to one up her and just be better than Wonder Woman. It's not that she wants to be an apex predator. And yeah, yeah, Did no, she... I think that was just them shoehorning it in. That's it. Did she have cats? Did she own one? Because like, it, like things like that. Like it just, I just feel like, like it, I'm not saying she's Catwoman, but like you know, what I mean, like it just would have been like, yeah. But little clues, like, little clues like that would help you understand like how that, like, she would oh, think she, that way. She, she's a really big Catwoman, so like her idyllic self would have been like, I'm gonna be this like badass Catwoman or something. Like instead, it just kind of, I don't know. It just felt odd because like from the trailer, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm sure there's like a whole bunch of like integration of that idea it's gonna mold to her being this and then in the end it's just like when is she oh yeah that's right she turns into a cat at the end i forgot yeah. right it's just strange it just feels strange and like just oddly out of place in a way yeah and again like it's she does become a cheetah person in the comics sometimes uh like she sometimes right. she is sometimes she's not and and i just want to say like that is a thing and it's not that she becomes that i think that bothers me it's the way that they do it like laurent's point out in the yeah. movie where you're like why would she turn into a cheetah? Like, you know, is this like an obsession she has? Like it, just any sort of context clues would have been good for how, how we get there. And there's just none of that. It's just like the studio's like, ah, oh, we got to find someone to fight at the end uh, because Maxwell Lord's not going to be a, you know, a, a, an Aries. So we got to find someone to be the Aries that we can have a big final uh, confrontation. And I just honestly, I think it would be bold if superhero movies of this size didn't end with a big mano mano -y mano fight. Like, what if they just, like, really tried to focus on the characters and sticking to landing? And then, you know, if they can make spectacle work, great. But, like, this movie just doesn't. Because the other side of that is going back to how Maxwell Lord's character plays out. Firstly, this is when I started to, like, I just I abandoned all hope and understanding. Is when my girlfriend turns to me. And I, I'm having the same thoughts. But the fact that she actually vocalizes, we're watching this. There, he's in the room. He's telling people, keep wishing, you know, doing his 
he's just going he's super hamming it up pedro pascal man guys he is all there the second he starts floating around and it's windy and i'm like wait why is it windy and then my girlfriend turns to me and said can you tell me why it's windy and also why is he shouting is he on tv and i'm like i don't know his power is to grant wishes not to create vortexes you know it, it just it's like they realized that it wasn't like a big climactic fight so they're like how do we make this like you know really big and bombastic and and then also the way that she stops him i like i really admire that they tried to find a way for her to defeat an enemy by using the lasso uh, the lasso of truth which again uh, they tried to set up earlier in the film and failed horribly. Like they should have set the lasso up a little better, but the whole idea is that the truth will set you free. Really strong, classic, powerful theme. We know that the lasso, when people have it on, they're forced to tell the truth. They didn't really set that up extra well in this movie. I think they maybe had done a little bit of legwork in the first movie. So when it, ha- but it, when it happens in this film, it, it f- kind of feels out of left field. She's like, Oh, I lassoed you. And now, and all of a sudden now he can see that everything he did was wrong. And I was like, okay, I, I the, like like on a bigger picture scale, I see the idea you're you're tackling here. And I actually really admire that idea, but the execution was so botched because you don't really she didn't really need to be a part of that thing. Like he had the realization that he would have had anyway, which is that his son's out there lonely and alone while he's riding right. around in the tornado screaming and stuff. Uh, you know, like like the lasso didn't really show her show him anything that he didn't already know. I don't know. You guys, you guys have any any thoughts on Maxwell Lord's story? I think like full stop. He could have not been in the movie, and they could have made the cheetah thing worse. Yes, but yes. that's just my. Opinion. That would have been more interesting to me, honestly. Yes, I, there there was just better ways they could have executed that story. Which I mean, I've rewritten the movie like three times in my head in the last like eighteen hours as I've seen it. But um, I definitely was not tracking up until it was like literally verbally said so whatever um that what that diana was losing her powers because of steve trevor's existence i didn't either like spoiler everybody totally okay i thought it was like i thought that minerva or barbara was like taking her powers and becoming wonder woman because she wanted to see her and then like we would have this like twist where because she was losing her humanity like her realizing that she was doing these things was going to be the big like light bulb moment essentially where they like then teamed up against martial arts i don't even know something crazy like that where you know we were not undermining our female characters but but yeah <laughs> right. that's my opinion did we like chris pine being back did it work did you guys buy it i i liked it for diana's arc in terms of like what she had to give up um because that did hit me that was probably the most meaningful takeaway i had from the movie um, but I think the hour and a half of him being around and just kind of, he didn't do much to, I mean, it didn't add much to the story really. I mean, I think the, I, I think it would have been, I mean, I don't know. It's, it works in one way. It's just, but like everything else in the movie, it, it's just incomplete. Everything felt like it's missing the other half of what would make this thing good, you know, like, and I just, I don't know. I think. It it worked in that impactful moment where she decides that I have to give up this thing so that every and everyone where we understand contextually for everybody else uh, what that sacrifice would mean because our main character is losing the person she loves again, again. I I think Steve Trevor's existence was just to try and put Diana Prince on a level 
with our villains, if that kind of makes sense, because she does have the speech where she's like, I want to be selfish and not give you up. And we definitely have these two selfish characters that are saying we're doing these things for our own motivations, the world be damned. I think that that was them trying to make those connections and whether or not it worked is definitely up to the viewer. Um, the moments where both when he arrives and when he has to leave were super emotional. But I think that's just why he he, he was there to put her on a, a field with the, the villains. That was it. I mean, I understand the intent behind him existing. It was more so like in that hour and a half that he was there, you know, beyond that point, it just felt like, you know, oh, hey, Chris. You know, like, so it's just like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just wish he had more, something more substantive to do to contribute to the story beyond that one aspect. But yeah, I, but I think it worked for Diana's story. Yeah, he did, he really didn't, in terms of things he actually contributed to the like the, the plot uh, and narrative advancement, it, it, he, he really didn't do anything. He flew a plane at one point. I think that's... The, actually, we got the invisible jet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he did, which is... Which, I mean, it's not it's the total loss. It's like... It's not. We got to see a really cool sequence where they watched the fireworks go off, and I got to admit, I actually thought it was pretty sweet. I don't know, it was cheesy. The scene when they're flying over the, the clouds and the fireworks, I was like, that's pretty cool little moments and you no, know. I was game I was totally game for that yeah it was great it was definitely um logic defying because like you died in like the what 20s at this point my dude like how do you know how to fly this plane also you're flying through a bunch of explosions I'm sorry I'm killing it it was my favorite scene too I'm so sorry <laughs> no it's okay it's actually really dumb don't think <laughs> of, it's just like this movie is big dumb and silly and I'm not saying like I don't think those things are always bad things and I don't even especially in the context of superhero movies Silly and dumb are not one a not the same thing. Uh, sometimes this movie is silly. Sometimes it's dumb. It's always big. But I just want people to know when I say those three things, they aren't the same thing. I, I think this is one of those movie moments that is both silly and dumb. There's lots of things that are actually very smart in this movie, but also very silly. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> him flying the plane, you're just gotta you just gotta buy into it. It's, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> just go with it. As Christopher Nolan said about Tenet, you just gotta feel it. Uh, now, another thing I want to touch on here is the 1984 setting, you know, and the fact that this movie, obviously it's in the title 1984, but I gotta say, guys, I don't know about you. I don't feel like this movie utilized the eighties settings in any sort of memorable way at all, like at, at all. And I really thought, like I mentioned earlier, I really thought this idea that the rise of consumerism tying into this like plot, like theme of like. You know what? Whatever you wish for can be yours. I was like, oh, they're gonna totally gonna like lay that in as a, and, and I think the the elements are there, but they don't use the '80s at all. Other than, hey guys, everyone's wearing '80s outfits. I feel like all the ideas and all the aesthetics and all of the character arcs, everything has the setup. There's no follow through on a, on almost everything. I feel like if you're gonna call it Wonder Woman 1984 it better feel like every part of this is integrated in such a seamless way. And it just doesn't like, I mean, like there are a couple sequences and costuming that's cool. That's nice. But like, it's just kind of, again, it feels like an afterthought. Like they didn't have like a heavy 80s soundtrack going on. Things I would have utilized to help, you know, add, you know, texture, you know, and authenticity to that space. But you know, and I'm only saying that, like, I wouldn't say it if it was just Wonder Woman 2, but because it's Wonder Woman 1984, you just think that that would have taken some, I mean, a little bit more prominence in the story, but. Yeah, Chelsea, any thoughts there? 
I I don't think it uses the setting. I think that you have the trappings, you have the aesthetic. I mean, the clothes were great. They were fun. Uh, I was definitely looking forward to more synth in the score that I got. Um, That's my primary complaint, I guess. But I think that what Marvel, or not what Marvel, I think what DC has in its characters is they're kind of a little bit more immortal than the Marvel characters. And so they have these things that they stand for that it doesn't really matter what time you drop them into. And I think that trying to drop her into an 80s movie and say it's an 80s movie and you know there's no they don't they don't apply any 80s themes to it they're still utilizing the wonder woman themes of like love truth and everything and it just shows that you can kind of drop her in anywhere and it's gonna work no i think that's spot on you know you mentioned the soundtrack laron and I actually Blue Monday was in one of the trailers and I by the way I'm a sucker for Blue Monday. If you want to get me fired up with 80s vibes, just play Blue Monday in front of a trailer. They've been doing it a lot lately and it totally got me. I was like, yeah, like this eight versions. Yeah. Any there's a million Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's more there's more synth sound in the trailers than there is in the actual movie and that's uh that's a huge bummer. Um but Chelsea, I actually really I want to follow up on what you were talking about there, which is this idea of so DC characters, they, I, they are supposed to represent these like larger, like God type beings. There's a few distinctions I want to make about that. Like they more so the Marvel where you're dealing with, with a lot of heroes who are created from science or are sort of of the earth, so to speak. I mean, obviously you've got Thor who's God of thunder and there are mm-hmm. many, many large and last, but I think I would say like, you know, the Avengers, most of these people are like, they have either obtained these powers um, like themselves or by accident uh, you know, the X-Men just are born with, with the mutant gene, but it's like your everyday, more like your everyday person. Even Captain America really represents right. like the everyday man. Right. Uh, versus DC. That is not the case. These, these characters all represent much larger ideas, uh, you know, Superman being, and then remove the American white part. Cause I think that's garbage, but you know, the truth and justice and this idea of a, a beacon of hope, um, you know, Batman sort of representing, um, you know, capitalism in a lot of ways and wealth in America, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, sort of like bringing this classic idea of uh, the mythology of the Amazons and putting it in superhero form, like this goddess status, similar to Superman in a lot of ways. Like uh, they they rep- they're supposed to be these like god esque beings, but the thing about and and so in a lot of ways it should feel like that. They they're they should be able to fit into any time that you put them in, and it work. That's part of what I think makes those the, the the characters brilliant and have has given them the shelf life they've had. The problem with this movie is though it doesn't have anything to say about the '80s, right? So so the whole idea with with characters like that is you use them to sort of, especially if you're doing a period piece, to to sort of bring a certain theme to the surface related to that time period, right? So we're going to do Wonder Woman in the 1980s. Well, Wonder Woman, we know what Wonder Woman represents. She represents these three things. And yes, she'll have an arc, but the arcs are probably going to be a little different than you'd see with like a Marvel character where it's more relatable to something that people might experience every day against like broader. So you would think that by setting in the 80s, we'd feel like walking away. Wow, this movie had a lot to say about the 80s. Here's these ideas they pulled up about the 80s and maybe we're trying to say, how is this relevant today, right? Same with the 90s you know, whatever this movie just doesn't do that though, because it just drops her in the eighties. But then I'm serious where by act two, you would not be remiss to forget you're watching a movie set in the eighties. There's almost nothing about it. Like they're especially like when they're in Egypt driving around, there's literally nothing about it that says we're, Hey guys, we're in the eighties, I guess other than maybe the cars they're driving. So it's, 
it it doesn't utilize it it uses it i don't know aesthetic at best it's just kind of hollow set dressing it, it versus you know i would say uh some sort of reflection on on the 80s anyway but uh i was pretty let down how <laughs> about you guys it could have been stronger i mean in terms of yeah, in terms of aesthetic, in terms of make, it looks good. Like the movie's polished and crisp, but like in terms of in in the context of the eighties, it's just like you said, it just kind of sits there. It's not doesn't really contribute anything to the narrative to, for me. We are running out of time, but I did want to at least touch on one of the more intense criticisms of the film. And you know, I don't know if we want to get super into the weeds here, but it's, this movie's been criticized for its uh, you know use of representation and racial stereotypes. Now, what's interesting, I find fascinating about this is this movie actually has a pretty diverse cast through and through. But what's unfortunate is that I think has been pointed out by a number of critics is that it also perpetuates the stereotypes of those characters. Uh, so I want to I just want to cite a quote from film critic Walter Cha. And he says, if you're keeping score, Wonder Woman uh, 1984 says that returning colonized land in the Middle East is bad, that a woman wishing she had more self-esteem is bad, that an abused child who witnessed his mother getting beaten wanting a better life for his own kid is bad, uh, the Back to the Future Part 2 is the best film in the trilogy, and that one of the most worth, uh, the one most worth emulating in tone, uh, that 1984 was a beautiful time in the U.S. history, and that the troubles of the fabulously wealthy and beautiful are primary and deserve to be the foreground because they are the most oppressed, generous, and misunderstood folks on the planet. You know, I just want to put that out there because this is the kind of stuff that's being written about this movie, which I, again, I find to be especially intense. But what I will say, if you're thinking about uh, this in terms of uh, representation, the the black person is a homeless person. The, uh, the Hispanic person was raised in poverty and his father was abusive. It, it's uh, over and over again. If you start looking at the cast, uh, the Egyptian is an oil guy who sold his oil to the Saudis. You know, it's if you look at the representation, it definitely checks a lot of boxes in terms of cliches and stereotypes that we've seen uh, in cinema. In, in right. The, and the first black woman that we're kind of introduced to is Diana's caretaker, which kind of hits the, you know, that I don't want to the mammy trope. You know what I mean? Like where they're just kind of the like, so, I mean, but yes, I mean, this is another example, another example of something that it's a little bit tone deaf to I, every superhero movie isn't supposed to change the world in terms of representation. But since we're having an ongoing discourse about gender and race and inclusivity and all those things, it's, it's, it wouldn't be unheard of to try and incorporate those elements into the narrative moving forward, especially if we're going to talk about like black feminism and, and how it's almost kind of devoid entirely from the whole, the whole, the larger scope of things. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Like specifically talking about Charles quote, I think that it's part of the ongoing conversation and it's starting to seep into our awareness of the movies in a way that hasn't really been part of like the critical conversation, I feel like. And that, I mean, again, I don't want to be the person that harps on the particular demographics of the film critics or of the Hollywood administration, for lack of a better word. Um, it's, it's having the conversation about things that the public is already having a conversation about. We have me too. We have black lives matter and being able to talk about them in a way that's going to start getting Hollywood to notice it, I think, in other ways than the backlash, um, in more of a critical, like, this is actually going to affect you 
in different ways. When it comes to like mainstream feminism, it covers that. It just seems like it takes kind of like race and other identities are kind of taking, you know, you know, the the backseat are on the back burner in terms mm-hmm. in place of just gender equality, which in in and of itself, I mean that that could be what what she represents. But then if we say that, then there's obviously that opens the door to say like, well, but gender equality doesn't just mean white gender, you know, like white women, like in general, you know, like it could be, there's so many women that Wonder Woman could represent without, without it like beating over the head with the racial, you know, whatever. Like mm-hmm. it just could be like, I mean, and I think that would be an interesting thing to incorporate maybe into the third one. You know what I mean? Like, let's see, like, what are some of those issues? How can we finesse those in a way that's seamless and not just kind of there for diversity plugs or what have you? But mm-hmm. I think um, I think it's a serviceable character as is. I just I think it could even be more in- meaningful if it did if it did kind of consider those other perspectives. Well, I think if if, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying or what I'm hearing at least is that if the movie itself represented feminism on the whole versus just using Wonder Woman iconography, like instead of just saying, hey, we have an iconic feminist character who supports women. It's like, no, what if we actually showed that sort of uh, diversity and inclusion in the casting choices, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good note. I, I don't have much to say on the matter other than that. I, I hope that Hollywood continues to have these conversations and that we're, you know, this is tough. It's, this is happening. We are more for a lack of a better word, enlightened or a quote unquote woke than, you know, it, you know, people are just become via social media uh, and just the number of movies people see. Everyone's a lot more savvy to this sort of thing. And and because of that, that comes like a lot of people having to process this stuff differently. And I think we're a lot more critical about this movie through this particular lens than we would have been like three or four years ago. But I actually think it's a really good conversation, meaningful conversation to have uh, in terms of the future of, of uh, filmmaking, especially blockbuster films. So I think I'm glad I'm I'm sad that it is hurting people's feelings on this movie, but also it's a valid criticism. And I'm glad it's being discussed. Uh, just unfortunately, Wonder Woman is the one that had to come out the door and it does appear to be a little tone deaf for its time. I, I think what's, what's most disappointing is that Walter was able to summon such a list clearly shows that Hollywood is not listening. Like, I mean, there's semicolons and it's like six points long of these are the <laughs> stereotypes that were summoned up in just this one movie so who is not listening? And I think that you can look at you can look at this movie. You can look at Justice League when Flash falls on Wonder Woman's breasts. I think that there is clearly nobody listening in this movie, in this series, in other movies. And something it's going to take something bigger to make them listen. Yeah, yeah. And with so few with with so few movies out there to talk about, like this is going to be in the conversation for a while. You know, I don't think this is going to go away. Well, uh, I think we are about out of time. And before we go, um, I, firstly, I just wanted to say uh, Chelsea and Laron, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and talk about Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, this has been a really great conversation. I hope listeners, you have uh, gleaned some different thoughts or perspective on the movie. You know, whether you liked it or not, I still think the best thing about it is that there's actually a lot to talk about here. Chelsea and Laron, anything you want to add before we close out the show? I think it's a noble misfire with with its moments, with some with some strong moments. 
So definitely still worth seeing. Yep. If it had come out when it was intended to come out, it totally would have been the summer popcorn blockbuster and just go have fun and watch it in December. <laughs> I just want to restate what Laurent actually said at the end of the spoiler free section. None of us actually hate this movie. I actually really like this movie enough to say it's better than the first movie. So check it out. Give it a watch. See what you think and let us know. You can let us know by hitting us up on the, the Cinematropolis on Twitter at the Cinematrop or on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis. Lauren Chapman, if people want to keep up with you and your work or continue this conversation on Wonder Woman 1984, where can they keep up with you and your work online? They can follow me um, on, with my name on Facebook, on Twitter at, at the names Laron, um, or they can follow me on Instagram at FreakyAFFilm. All right. And Chelsea Raderman, if people want to keep the conversation with you on Wonder Woman 1984, where can they find you online? At me, people. Um, no. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CinephileChels. There's no underscore. I removed it recently. Um and you can also visit geekgirlfeatures.com. Of course, if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me personally on Twitter at CMastersTalk. That's letter C, Masters Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Wonder Woman 1984. I hope you'll join us next week when I do a review of Promising Young Woman starring Carrie Mulligan. I've been really looking forward to this one for quite a while. Uh, it's going to be a great film to check out. Now playing in theaters for those of you who are going to the theaters, and I expect it to be on demand uh, here in the next uh, next couple months. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you again next time. <laughs>